The second reading is Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more, life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable, valuable are, are than birds? Of who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how lilies grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his, in all of his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell all your possessions and give to the give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your, treat, for your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Well, good evening, SNC. It's so good to be here with you here this evening, uh, particularly if you're a guest of us here. Uh, we're finishing up our series uh, called Living is Giving. We've been looking at how we've been called to live in response to receiving the, the grace and the love of God and Jesus, what it means, therefore, to live our lives in response to that. And if our God is a God who gives, is a giving God, He gives us life, He gives us hope, He gives us eternal life. And since we are made in His image, therefore, our lives are all about giving as well, and tonight we, we come to the end of that series, and we'll be, we're going to look head on at the barriers towards a generous life. And so, how about you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you call us your children, and we thank you, Father, that uh, that in giving us your Son, you give us hope for eternal life. Help us to see and to hold fast a vision of the good life, where we see. Uh, the incredible benefits of being generous and loving as our trademark uh, as Christians, as people who know you, having experienced your grace and love. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. What's your vision for the good life? What's your vision for the good life? What do you live for? It might be perhaps your friends, your family. You, want, you, spend, you live to spend time with these people. If you can hang out with your friends and family all the time, that's the good life. Maybe it's in studying really hard at school or at university so you can get high marks in your degree and be successful one day in a job. That, perhaps, is the good life. Maybe it's the opposite to that, perhaps, which is probably most of you here. It's, it's actually going traveling, experiencing, having fun, going overseas, doing, you're planning your Europe trips or you're planning your around Australia trips now because you want to enjoy the good life now. That's the good life. Or perhaps it's staying at home and being comfortable, you know, ordering some Ben Briar on Deliveroo, watching Netflix as such, and uh, just enjoying the night and letting it go on and on and just falling asleep in front of the TV. That's kind of like my idea of a good life, I think. 
Maybe it's to remain fit and active. Maybe it's to be healthy. Maybe you're a gym junkie, you cycle, you swim, and the idea of being healthy and being healthy for your life, that is the vision of the good life. What is your vision of the good life? I think many of us, can, we, we pursue all these kinds of different things, don't we? And so it might be hard to determine or narrow down exactly what we think is the good life. And perhaps we should ask ourselves a different question to determine what it is we're pursuing and wanting in our life. The question we might ask is, what am I afraid most of losing? What am I afraid most of losing? Katie and I went on a surfing honeymoon in Bali, which is awesome. I love surfing, and so does she. And so the first time we went surfing was a spot called Pandala in Bali, and it was a huge day, a big day, eight to nine foot high, which means that if you're paddling in the water, it was probably as tall as the ceiling looking at the waves. So it's a huge surf, big surf. I had brought my brand new surfboard over to Bali, and I was very excited to surf it. Uh, I could not wait. You know, I was also excited to spend time with Katie, by the way. Uh, but I was also very excited to surf on my brand new surfboard in this massive surf. We go out, we catch a few waves. We're having so much fun. Katie goes in, and I want to catch one more wave. And so I go to take off on this big wave, and I get dumped. And I'm just being churned in and through this wave in the whitewash as such, nearly hitting the reef. And finally, I come up for air. And I look over, and my board is bobbing in the water. And there my board, I can see it. It's been split in two by the wave. Now, you know that, like, that gut-dropping feeling you get when something terrible happens in your life, when, when the worst thing that happens to you is all of a sudden happens? That's what I had in that moment. I was just torn apart. I was so emotional, an absolute mess. I paddled into shore like <laughs> sobbing and heaping and just like, crying for, for ages. And I'd go to Katie and she tries to console me, but I'm just a like, blubbering mess. I couldn't even remember what happened after that. It's all a blur because I had lost the thing that was most precious to me in that moment. My surfboard, the thing I love so much, had been crushed in two. And Katie's like, well, what about me? Do you love me? I'm still here. And so, you know, we even had to pray about it as well. I was like that, that distraught about losing my surfboard. In that moment of losing that thing I love, I realized what was the good life for me, surfing. And in that moment, that good life was taken from me by my surfboard being taken from me. And so therefore, something that I worried about had been taken the things we worry about most are generally the things that make up the good life. We worry about them because we know how fragile life is, how in moments things can just be taken away from us without us even, even realizing that it was gone in the first place or perhaps without even realizing how we could protect it. And so perhaps our response to worry, to our worry, is to try and protect our vision of the good life as much as we can. And the story before the one read to us in Luke 12 we read about a rich man who did just that. He had all this wealth amassed in his life, but he didn't have big enough barns to, to secure all his wealth. And so he had this wealth unsecured outside his barns. So what does he do? He rips down his barns and he builds bigger barns so he can fit all his wealth in. He can relax and enjoy the good life of security and comfort and know that his wealth is protected, his life and his future is secure. But what happens? His life is taken from him. God demands it that night. And no money, nothing 
can protect him. His life, his money is all gone. We think we can secure the things we value and treasure in life, holding on to the vision of the good life. But when we're confronted with the reality of death, when we're confronted with the reality of pain and suffering and loss in so many ways, in the big ways like that, but even in the small ways as well, when you have a car accident or when something just, just, just goes wrong, you don't get that coffee order you wanted and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're annoyed, in all these small and massive moments, we have this moment of clarity that we, just, we don't have power to secure the good life and it leaves us worried about what might happen to us. And so what are we to do? The only way to deal with our worry is to replace the vision of the good life we have from this world with a better vision, or rather, the proper vision of the good life. Or as Jesus talks about it, to pursue a treasure that is eternal and it can't be taken away. It's a vision of the good life that has a different perspective on the world around us. If you look at verse 22, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then earlier on in verse 15, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our consumer-driven world wants to sell you a vision of the good life that's all about food and clothes. That's all about the abundance of possessions. I mean, just look at how many food delivery apps there are on the App Store. There's Menulog, there's Uber Eats, there's Deliveroo, there's, uh, there's heaps. And, and then also, you go to the mall, there's so many shops where you can buy so many different clothes. I mean, Cliff struggled to buy what shoes he wanted last week. There's 20 different types of shoes to choose from. He wanted a particular pair. We have so many options in our world. Our world tells us that the good life is in finding which one you want and taking it for yourself. It's in the abundance of possessions. It's in eating well and drinking well and living out the good life. And it's a life we so easily buy into. It pulls on our heartstrings. And so when we see that advertisement for a new car, we need to buy it because it makes us feel good. Or we need to own our own property. That's the, the biggest thing our, our Australian culture believes in. I was brought up the idea that you need to own your own property to be secure. And we buy into that. Or we need to travel overseas to Europe or to America to experience and broaden our horizons, to live life to the full. And that's perhaps what young people are sold as the idea of the good life, as what they need to do to live the good life. And so all of a sudden we've bought into these things, these things we make our whole life about, but they're just momentary. They're here today and then gone tomorrow. Jesus wants to give you a much better vision for your life, a truly good life, an eternal one where life becomes so much more than these things. I have two points this evening, which, I, which I've made into a sentence, so it's easy to remember. And I think it provides, I guess, the, what we should take away from this story from Luke 12. The sentence is this, the God who has your back frees you to pursue the truly good life. So let's break this down. The God who has your back after Jesus had made this bold declaration, uh, don't worry about your life, don't worry about food and drink, don't worry about these things, that life is so much more than these things, to justify this, Jesus proceeds to give evidence from nature itself to show us that when it comes to our clothing and food, God does, ha does have our back. 
We read from verse 24, Consider the ravens. They're not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how you clove, how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You see, unlike the rich man who built barns to store up his wealth, birds don't do that. They can't do that. They have no ability to build barns. And grass is just grass. It can't do anything. It just grows. They have no opportunity to, to secure their future as such. And but we consider it frugal and smart to invest in our future. What we learn from the rich man, from the birds and the grass, is that it's God who feeds us. It's God who clothes us. Every single worm or insect that bird finds to feed itself and its young, every twig it finds to make its nest, comes from the goodness and the generosity of the God who cares for the birds. Every flower that springs up on the grass is designed, its beauty, then to fade away, comes from the goodness and the generosity of God who makes beautiful things. Likewise, every dollar we earn in our bank, the houses we live in, the car you might have come in tonight, the jobs we might return to tomorrow, the schools we might return to tomorrow, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, all these things come entirely from the goodness and generosity of a God who is sovereign and powerful over all things, who is the one who gives these things. No matter how wealthy you think you are or how poor you might think you are, we're all reliant on the goodness and, and grace of God, like the birds and the grass. We have no power to provide for ourselves. The rich man proved that. Rather, God is the one who provides for us. And yet we're not like birds or grass. And he reminds us how much more valuable are you than the birds. And in verse 30, For the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. Your father. You see, our world worries, and it makes sense that they worry, because they don't know the God who loves them and cares for them. It's on them. They live in a world where their needs are on them to provide. And so, of course, they run after these things so hard, trying to provide for their every need and every desire and want. But for the Christian, we know the truth. We know the God who is in control of all things, and He is the one who provides for us. And we know Him not just as our Lord and King and our God, but as our Father who loves us, who loves you and cares for you, and will provide for you. Indeed, we're called his children. The way in which we became his children was by the fact that God provided for our most ultimate need. He sent his own son to die on the cross, to forgive us of our sins, to give us eternal life that we might inherit as his children that eternal life and forgiveness of sins as we trust in him. He has already provided us with, our, with us the solution to our ultimate need. In making us his children, we are given hope not just for this life, but for all eternity. 
So therefore, the God who can provide in that way, who can overcome death, who can give us eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, that God is sure, He sure is able and will provide for us and have our back when it comes to food and clothes, paying the rent, paying the bills, getting us through school and uni, getting us through our job and providing for us. It's the cross. It's, it's the cross of Christ that gives us hope that our God does have our back and he is powerful to provide even when we are in desperate times and situations so that when we lose our job or when we can't afford to pay for food and rent, we can pray and ask God, God, I know you're good. I know that I am more valuable than the birds that you feed and the grass you clove. I know your son died for me. Lord, help me to get through this. Help me to trust you this month. We can pray over the psalmist, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. Not my job, not my school, not my uni, not, my, not the income I have, not the clothes I wear, but God. And even though you might be in a desperate time yourself right now, this, 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 this part, Jesus, this teaching Jesus is telling us here is that because our God is powerful and because his son died for us and because he is our father, we can know and trust that he will provide, he will get us through this. And so as Jesus says in verse 29, do not set your heart and what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Yeah, we, can, we can know God. We can know He is powerful to provide. We can know that He loves us. We can know that he, we are more valuable than the birds and the grass. We can know we have hope beyond this life now for all eternity. But for some reason, we still struggle, don't we? We still have moments where we doubt the goodness of God in our life and we turn to ourselves and try to provide for our own strength. And, that, and, we exp- and our, that exposes us to our worry. And it's because worry is not just a, a head issue, it's a heart issue. Our worry reveals a disconnect between what we know about God and what we believe about Him. And this is because our hearts in that moment of worry are set on something else. Just like non-Christians. They're set on running after things as if we don't have a Father, as if we don't have a God in our life. Choosing to set our, our heart on things like our family or our health or our jobs. In that moment when we lose something and we're angry, we lost it, it shows that we're set on these little things that don't even matter in life and the big things that do matter. We turn to ourselves rather than to God who can provide. And so the question is, how do we change the heart? How do we move our hearts to truly believe that God does have our back? I think the key is, is that to truly trust that God has our back, we've got to set our heart on a treasure that will never fail. We've got to set our heart on pursuing a good life, a truly good life that will never fail us. And that's where we come to the second part of our sentence, the God who has your back frees you to pursue the truly good life. The question is, is what is the truly good life? If the good life, if Jesus says life is more than food and more than clothes, it's more than the things you need, it's more than having lots of stuff like our world tells us that's what life's all about. 
then what is the truly good life that Jesus wants us to pursue, to take hold of, to own as ours? Well, he answers the question in verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, God has our back. He will provide for us so we can pursue the kingdom. What is that exactly? It's a very vague thing, isn't it? I think Paul helps us in Romans chapter 14. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is something we can pursue and experience now by the power of God's Spirit in us as we seek to live godly lives amongst each other, living holy and obedient lives towards God and towards others, living in peace and sharing that joy. To seek the kingdom is to seek the life that God has saved us, saved you, to live. Knowing He has our back, to, to live and to seek such a life, which we can see from verse 33, radically transforms our approach to money. If you want to look at the trademark of the truly good life, it's this. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. It's an entirely different economy to that of our modern world, which emphasizes the building wealth up for yourself. Organizing your affairs ahead of, for your needs ahead of others. Thinking of your needs ahead of others and, and thinking of your future security and no one else's. But those who seek the kingdom not only know the fragility of material possessions and money and, that, and they must trust that God has their back, they use material wealth to invest in which that will not be taken away or perished. They seek to use that money for others. Because they know this money will perish in the end. So why waste on things that will perish with it? But when they seek to use it to advance God's kingdom, to love others, to care for others, they will never perish. That will always be remembered. They radically detach themselves from the pursuit of money because they have a treasure in heaven that is far greater. This treasure is the object of the good life. It's what we live for now. But what is this heavenly treasure exactly? I don't think we should narrow it down to simply people being saved or doing good deeds as such. Rather, I think the treasure of the kingdom is the kingdom itself. The treasure of the kingdom is simply gaining the kingdom in Jesus. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13, he says that it is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is a preciously profound treasure. To those pursuing the kingdom, having God's saving presence in Jesus, his sovereign rule as king, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life is more valuable than anything else in this world that money can buy. And they'll do whatever they can to take hold of it and not let go of it. They'll even sell all they have so they can keep it. And they'll sell the, their possessions and their money and give it away with joy because what they gain is so much more valuable because it lasts for eternity. And they'll use their money instead 
to advance kingdom priorities. They will be generous with what they have, seeking to love others and to share with others their material wealth for the sake of building this kingdom. And here's the thing. They truly believe that this life is better than the life the world would offer them. That gaining God in Jesus is worth giving up all our possessions and money and even life and to do so with joy. That investing our money and time with others for the sake of the kingdom is far more rewarding than building our own little kingdom here on earth that is here today and will be gone tomorrow. So let me ask you, do you believe deep down in your heart that gaining God in Jesus is far better than anything in this world that's worth giving up everything for? Do you believe deep down in your heart that investing your money and your time into others and into the church, into the kingdom of God, for the sake of fulfilling kingdom priorities, is better than building your own little kingdom here on earth? Do you believe deep down in your heart that God does have your back so you can be generous and free from worry as you pursue the kingdom? The answer to that question is in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you see as the good life will reveal what you treasure most. And if you're not sure what exactly you're treasuring or you're pursuing as the good life, then perhaps you can look at how you might be funding it. Look at your wallet. Look at how you spend your money and you will find your treasure. You will find what you think is the good life. Money is probably the biggest spiritual battle we fight in our day-to-day life as a Christian. We fight against this promise that money will buy us a better life. And that battle is lost or won depending on what our hearts are captured by as most precious and good. Our hearts will be either captured by the kingdom of God like the man in, in Matthew 13 or it will not it will be captured by money like the rich young man. And so let me tell you, if you don't wish to be, to be generous with what you have, if you don't wish and desire to, to detach yourself from money because the kingdom of God is so much better, then the kingdom has not captured your heart. How do we move our hearts to be captured by the kingdom so that we treasure Jesus and pursue him more than anything else in this world? The scary thing is there's nothing that we can actually do. Nothing we can do. We, can't, we can pray more, we can read our Bibles more, we can come to church more, but there's nothing necessarily we can do to increase our heart's desire on our own. We need something far greater and far more. And the good news is that God is pleased to give us the kingdom. In a world where that tells us that we need to try harder to pursue the version of the good life it would tell us. In a world that says you must have this and this and this to live the good life, we learn from Jesus that God is pleased to give us the truly good life in giving us the kingdom. And the way he does that is by giving us the king. Verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The king who gave everything up for you, becoming man, 
to die on the cross so you would be forgiven. The king who rose again from the dead so that you might be also raised to new life, not just physically, but spiritually as well, with new hearts and renewed minds to see and savior Jesus, his goodness and love, that we would live in his kingdom with him as the king. His generosity never runs out. His grace never expires. His power to change our hearts, to free us from worry and pursue the greatest life we could possibly ever live is found in him and he's able to give it to us. Treasuring Jesus and kingdom generosity go hand in hand. If, and they're backwards compatible. If you want to grow in your generosity, seek to treasure Jesus and what he's already given you. It's not about simply reading your Bible more or praying more. It's about being thankful for what God has done for you and reflecting and remembering that and responding to that. If you want to be more generous, treasure Jesus more. But also, if you want to treasure Jesus more, be generous. Act on that treasure by giving, by showing yourself, telling yourself that God is good that he loves me so much and that what he has done for me is so good that he is, far, he is God my money is not. And I want to depart with my money and give it away so I can show the world and myself that God is truly good. That's going to hurt sometimes. Sometimes you're going to give money and you're going to think, what am I doing? Why am I putting this in the offertory bowl? It's a waste. No, it's not. You're training your heart at that point. You're training your heart to see that God is so much better than your money that, and your possessions. It might be like eating broccoli as a kid. You hate it, but it's definitely good for you. Giving money is good for your soul. Giving it away in this consumer-driven world that's so obsessed with it is so good for your soul and for your heart. So let me encourage you, you know, next week we have an opportunity to, to give a thanksgiving offering to God for what he's done in your life. Let me encourage you to do that for your sake, for your heart. Don't do it because I'm asking you to do it. Don't do it because we need money here at church, although we love partnering with you in the gospel. Do it because you want to continue to work on your heart and love and grow in your treasuring of Jesus more and more as you seek to pursue the good life. As we seek to detach ourselves from our money and be generous with it, we will grow to treasure Jesus more and seek to pursue the good life, which is to seek his kingdom and to be generous with what we have to expand that kingdom. We want to show and believe deep down in our hearts that he, that Christ, is the most precious and valuable thing in our life and that we wouldn't let anything else take us away from him. Not even our sinful hearts that are prone towards storing and keeping money for the self. Rather, we give it away, knowing that as we give it, God has our back, that he will provide for our needs, even when the going gets tough, so that we can freely give what we've been freely received. Pursuing the kingdom, seeking to live as we give, desiring the truly good life, which is to be generous. How about I pray for us? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love. We thank you, Lord, that we can be generous because you have been generous towards us and you are a God who promises to provide for us so that you have our back 
even when the times and the going gets tough. We pray, Lord, that when that does happen and when things are difficult in our life and we experience loss and pain and we feel that we don't have what we need, help us, Lord, not to worry but to turn to you and to trust in your goodness and your, and your grace and your love for us and to know that we have what we need to pursue your kingdom. Help us to show the world around us of what we, tr- of what we have in your Son is most precious, a hope for all eternity a relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us and who keeps us. We pray these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.